Pauline was a sweet woman who lived across the street. We weren't close as kids or teenagers because she was around five years older than me, but our parents were friends. I think she babysat me when I was younger, too. When my mother learned that Pauline was engaged, she sent me to help on the bridal shower. Poor mom. <laughs> she thought I was like that because I was too often around boys and needed to learn to be more feminine, but she got that wrong. That's when I first learned that Pauline and her soon-to-be husband had made a blood oath. The first to die comes and takes the other as soon as they can, she explained to me, swirling the ruby ring gently around her fingers. Isn't that a bit dramatic? What if you end up divorcing and marrying other people? We won't. We're soulmates, she assured me. I didn't pursue the matter, but she kept talking about him in a dreamy tone. Aiden would like this. Oh, I wish Aiden was here, and so on. Her dreamy tone almost made me believe that soulmates existed, and that you could make the person you love the most follow you into death just by willing it. I met Pauline's friends, and we all ended up having some quality girl time. Pauline explained to us all how she believed that you can wake up in the afterlife and start controlling things with your mind. Of course your memories will be hazy, she clarified. But that's why we made the blood oath, so we can remember. And how will one get the other back, I asked, entertaining her. I like to believe that we'll both grow wings. It was all terribly silly when I think back, but... Pauline had something about her that made everyone pay attention and marvel at her words. Despite the age gap, we ended up becoming good friends. I think we were finally at an age where it didn't matter anymore. Plus, I had a lot of spare time to accompany her to wedding dress fittings, cake tasting, and all the little things that were the world for brides. Little by little, I grew to understand her devotion to Aiden, and he was just as crazy about her, if not more. When they were together, the world felt like a brighter and warmer place, like marshmallows slowly melting over my heart. The day of the wedding came, around a year and a half after her bridal shower. It was neither a big nor small wedding. It felt like both Pauline and Aiden were able to invite exactly everyone they wanted to be around on their happiest day. Not one more, not one less. I felt somewhat honored to be there. Tragically, that happiest day never came. When Pauline arrived, belated as any ride should, there was whispering and disquiet. Aiden wasn't there yet. Her smile didn't falter because she was completely sure that he would never bail on her, but I could tell she was worried. The bridesmaids, her two closest friends since high school, started making calls to try to find out if the groom had a sudden illness or something. Soon they realized that Aiden's parents were there, but not his brother. He was supposed to drive the groom as part of his best man's duties. When the devastating news came, everyone wanted to comfort her. Everyone wanted desperately to protect her, but, but there was only so much we could do. It was all so hard on everyone. Aiden's brother ended up surviving, but he'll be quadriplegic for life due to severe injury of his spinal cord. Right after the wedding that never happened, Pauline and Aiden's parents dealt with the selling of the house they had just bought, and Pauline continued living with her parents. They both still worked office jobs, so her other friends and I started taking turns, keeping her company while they weren't home. I did my best to be there for my neighbor and friend, but, but she wasn't there. She was living in delusion, and the only thing you could see leaking into reality was, was her desolation. 
I never saw such a deep and heart-wrenching sadness. Pauline refused to take off her dress. She would spend the whole day by the window just waiting for Aiden and the whole night crying because she missed him so desperately. Every single day. She was hopeful that it was only a matter of time until he woke up on the other side and remembered to bring her along. That's why she wouldn't take off the dress. He had died in his wedding suit, so it was only natural that she was up to par. Her parents and every single one of her friends tried to coax her into changing her clothes. We promised she could always keep the dress close for when Aiden came, but she knew that we really didn't think he would. It was like promising your kid that you'd buy them a happy meal, but some other day. No one dared to penetrate her grief and force her out of the dress. She spent the day in it, slept in it, even bathed in it. Since we live in a warm and arid climate, having it dry wasn't an issue, only everything else. The once beautiful silk organza dress was now ragged, grimy, and it smelled. But she still refused to take it off. She started to believe that Aiden wouldn't be able to spot her in a crowd if she wasn't wearing it. It was impossible to change her mind, and even though she was seeing a therapist three times a week, she wasn't improving. Her mourning and PTSD were turning into a darker, more permanent mental illness. She started talking to Aiden, then explained to us that he was nearby, so she could feel him coming to her. He was just taking a while because flying is really hard when your wings are newly acquired. Then one morning, she disappeared for good. No one saw her leaving, and no one saw her at all after that. The only thing that we were able to find in the small grove behind the house was her filthy wedding dress. It had two large holes poked through the back, like it had grown wings. After finding the dress, everyone who loved Pauline was relieved. Her mother readily admitted that she actually believed that Aiden somehow had come back to take her. Others weren't so fond of the supernatural explanation, but thinking that there was a chance that it happened brought us a sense of closure. It's not that we were happy about her death, but we conformed to the possibility of her finally finding her peace. She was an angel, after all. Why wouldn't she grow wings and escape her flesh prison? The family held a beautiful memorial service in her honor, and slowly we all started moving on with our lives. Now, you might ask what I believe. Being the person who spent the most time watching Pauline those days, it was only natural that I was the one who found her dead in the bathtub. Hiding and subsequently getting rid of her body was the hardest thing I have ever done. Tampering with the dress, though, <laughs> was eerily healing. Still, I think that she would be pleased to know that I faked her rapture. A romantic and mystifying death fitted her far more than taking her own life. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. <gasps> and I'm Michael Tatum. <laughs> Very perky today. And this yeah. is Goal Intentions. Yay! Yay! Oh. Uh, first of all, I want to thank Monica Rial for reading that story so she's, fucking she's great. She's so great. God damn. We she's are just... great. We are... Uh, I, 
We are striking out with these cold opens. I mean, they're just, we're, we're getting, we're getting like, just like, I mean, like striking out in the sense of we're bowling. So strike is good. Right. <laughs> Not it's striking good. out in yeah. baseball. Different metaphor. It doesn't work here. But you yeah, know what I mean. And Monica's wanted to do this for a while. Um, it, for those who know, Monica, Michael, and I are all really, really good friends. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, we're friends with a lot of, we're, we're good friends with most of the people, but Monica in particular, very, very yeah. close with Monica. Oh, yeah. Uh, best friends. Best and so, friends. Uh, she has been wanting to do it for a while. She's just been too busy. So, we finally found a time to get her uh, yeah. to record it and, and get her the so right story. And that story it was so fucking good. And, tw- and it's so gothy, too, which Monica trends goth, for those oh, who don't know. Totally, totally. <laughs> That's why she so and I are like, friends. This is so good for her. Uh, that was written. It's a Reddit, but it was written by uh, user Polonium Poisoning, which is also fun. <laughs> Polonium, so, po- oh, I like that. Polonium Poisoning. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> though that story's great, and I'm so glad she read it. Uh, uh, Reddit from Reddit. Yeah, that works. We know, <laughs> we know all the best people, Jamie. We do. We do. I love it. Oh um, my god. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah. Thank you, Monica. We You're love the best. you. I love, I love you. you. Miss I you. Miss you. I want us to all go to Liverpool again and have that and like uh, do that trip again. Can we just do that trip yeah. like every year? Every year, with the four that would of be us, amazing. you, me, we Jamie, the and, best and time. Brandon. Whenever we so talk about fun. Liverpool, just for the record, Monica was with us. Yeah. And so. Yeah. And it yeah. was, God, it was a fucking ball. Like, I didn't know I'd enjoy myself as much because it's Liverpool, you know, it's fine. Yeah. I had never been. And I, I just was like, okay, whatever. And we went. I was like, we, we walked a... so fucking much. And it was it was cold. <laughs> and we still walked because that's how much yeah. we were just kind of lost in the good time of it all. And, and we forgot that it was fucking freezing. And yeah. that the pandemic was slowly encroaching upon the UK. Right. And that it was actually way worse than we thought it was because nobody was telling the truth at the time. That was real <laughs> yeah. fun. Yay. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. What's okay. our title Gosh. today? Oh, our title today is uh, Infinitely Stranger. Oh, isn't that the fucking theme for the year? Infinitely Stranger. Yeah, it really is. And it's from uh, A Case of Identity by Arthur Arthur Conan Doyle. Arthur. Arthur Arthur Conan Doyle. Arthur. That's hard to say when you think of Arthur. Arthur. Author. Uh, Author anyway, Arthur. The whole t- the whole quote is life is infinitely stranger than anything which the mind of man could invent. Mm, which I agree. Yeah. 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 Which is why it's always like, why are you adding to this story? It's so good on its own. <laughs> Usually <laughs> it's life just... is weird because the human mind unintentionally does things. That's that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. That's it's like very a byproduct true. of just bad thinking, but not invention. Yeah. Have oh you, my god! Uh, are you haunted yet? I keep trying to send it to you. No, I mean, uh, not really. Not that I've noticed. I've had some. Uh, I had a weird experience the other day. I don't know if I can't remember if I told you. It was very minor and probably just my imagination. To be fair, uh, to be fair, but. <laughs> I, I've been meditating again lately just because it's a, you know, God, what better time <laughs> mm. to try to find your center uh, than 2020. So I started meditating again. And it's been a it's been a couple of years since I've dedicated myself to it, like every night or every other night, kind of reserving like 30 minutes to an hour to just sitting, you know, with my thoughts. That's uh, good. And, uh, you know, one night I was doing it and, you know, my mind races and it takes a while to kind of, you know, wrangle it in and. Um, I, you know, I just, I've had my eyes closed and I'm in the dark room. So it's, it's totally pitch black in our room, as you know, because we've got those blackout curtains. And so I'll just, I'll just kind of put a little sign on the door and I'll sit in my chair and I'll listen to some music. And, um, 
count my breath, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I'll just kind of watch, you know, the darkness behind my eyelids, as it were. That's, that's you know, one thing I do and um, to kind of just focus myself on the present. And uh, I was doing that one night and I had this weird, very vivid sensation that a face just popped through the darkness behind my eyelids and like looked at me like, the fuck are you doing? And then I popped back. It was not, it was a very indistinct face. It was almost, you know, yeah. like, but it was just enough just enough of a hint of color amid all the blackness uh, that it just jumped out at me and it kind of made me go, oh, that's vivid. Huh, cool. <laughs> and, and then, but it was almost, it was like someone walking by and like, you know, checking out. It's like if you're like on a public transit system or something and you're like reading a paper and someone walk, it like kind of tries to look at, like just makes absolutely no bones about like reading over your shoulder. That's what it felt like. Oh. And I thought to myself, well, that's fucking weird. What did something, is that just my imagination being overactive? Because normally my imagination isn't that active. Like I, I'm intensely visual and I can, I'm capable of having intense imaginings, but I, it never gets away from me. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, at least yeah. not, not that I know. And uh, then that night I was like, that's, that was weird. Okay, cool. I wrote it in my little, my little meditation journal. I'm like, hey, something uh, felt like something peeked at me. I wonder what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think it's my future personality coming through to be like, oh, I remember when I was this asshole. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I went to when we went to bed later that night, a couple hours later, and I just had this weird sense that, uh, you know, there was something in the room. Again, probably, I, don't, mm. I was like, it's probably my imagination because of what happened earlier. But at one point, while I was drifting off to sleep, Gus, um, having heard nothing that I could hear, and my hearing is pretty goddamn good. Um, I mean, like, I'm so alert, especially when it's dark, that I can hear a gnat fart in the next room. And <laughs> I, I heard nothing. And suddenly Gus, who was in a deep sleep, snoring away, just gets up and starts barking at the door. And I was like, okay. And so I just, I calmed him down. And I was like, look, you're allowed to pass through. But if you're staying, you better fucking help with the rent. <laughs> and then right. everything was fine. So that, but again, probably all just my imagination. You know, obviously doing this podcast puts me in a certain frame of mind. So I'm more liable to, um, you know, read into things than I might be otherwise. But it was it was the first time I've ever had an experience while meditating where it felt very vividly like something outside of myself was going, hey. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of cool. I felt like, hey, if it was real, I, hey, hey, man, I made a breakthrough. <laughs> yeah. I wonder... Do you think that, and I, I'm asking for a friend, which is me. Um, <laughs> do you think, because you know they say like construction and, and big moves and stuff like that will stir up spirits. Yeah. What do you think about uh, completely re like moving a whole bunch of stuff around, reorganizing giant big moves? I mean, it seems like the same principle, right? I'm like, yeah. it seems like change. It seems like if there's some energy or spirits or whatever you want to call it in the place, they kind of identify very strongly with the way things are. And if they change, it stirs things up, you know, like, like it's yeah. almost like a physical principle. So, I, right. I, you know, whether whether it's, you know, uh, repainting a wall or moving the furniture around or something, I think it's it's all if, if it's real, it's all got potential to, to well, do. Well, see, stuff. I think. So what I've heard, and I think it's true, is that if you're having activity in your house, mm -hmm. you should paint. And and mm -hmm. it's not about a big construction project, but uh, usually a coat of paint will chill things out for a while. Mm. Um, and so one of the things I was concerned about with the girls moving them into the old office, because that's where we had the uh, podcast and we had a lot of weird shit happen in that space. True. And yeah. so I was concerned that the girls might have a lot of stuff happen. So 
that's part of part of why I wanted to paint the room. And also it was blue and um, I wanted them to feel like the room was theirs. So they got to, you know, have ownership over the colors, choices and all of those kinds of yeah. things. I really want it to feel like it's their it's space and as long as it was pretty. <laughs> you got this <laughs> whole stepmom thing like, down. You're good. You're good at this. That. Yeah. <laughs> so mm, those colors don't match. Let's think about other <laughs> colors. But luckily their colors matched. You, uh, empower, you don't disagree with them. You just empower them to make better choices. Better choices. Better informed. Uh, and so... <laughs> Anyway, we did the the painting stuff, and there didn't seem to be a lot. Now, Callista was very afraid at the beginning. Yeah, of it's kind of a phase she she's seeing, going through, and she yeah. did say she saw a shadow. Yeah. in the space that was pacing back and forth by the bunk bed, mm. and that's when I uh, I just let her talk about it. I didn't tell her you didn't see it or it's not. This it's I just told her it's a very that you're in a safe space. So whatever that was, it could have had it could have been a bunch of things, but whatever it was, you're still in a safe space. And that's when I started giving her the pad with the yeah, perfume with on the, it, which yeah. protected her. She felt like it protected her. And then by the time we ended, the cat that haunted the house is her friend. So I don't know, but <laughs> it seems to have stopped uh, weird stuff that would happen in the. Maybe yeah. I mean it could be. Uh... You know, I, it's interesting. So the room was blue, and I just thought of this. But so in Key West, which is, uh, you mm-hmm. know, one of my favorite, or it used to be one of my favorite places to go when I still traveled. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's uh, most of the older houses there that have verandas on the front porch. The ceiling of those verandas is painted a kind of seafoam blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not strictly seafoam, but it's blue. And it's the word sea is in the name of the color. I forget exactly what it's called. But it's painted that color because it's believed that water is a natural barrier to spirits. Right. So the idea is that you paint your porch this color and it keeps the spirits out your house. And uh, what if, and it, let, let's just, you know, blue sky engineer this for a moment. What if that's true? And because the room was blue, you had inadvertently trapped the spirit in. Oh, and now that it can room. leave. And now it can leave because you changed Even the color. Even though there was a window and a door. But I mean, if it's blue, if blue is blue, I don't know. I don't know the rules. I don't know that's the true. rules. Who but knows? Who tradi- knows how it works? Traditionally, but that's an in some option. cultures, painting something blue or the color blue, anything reminiscent of water, um, is something is a, a, something spirits can't cross. I don't know why that should be, but it's yeah. Seemed, there's a house on a there's a street in Dallas it's called Swiss Avenue, and it's these big, old. Hmm. Um, I used to live uh, one street over in like the oh, poorest section of Dallas. <laughs> yeah, right. It was right, weird. It yeah, was like, oh, Swiss it, Avenue, it's gorgeous garden district, and then right next door is Shitsville, <laughs> or at least it was yeah, better like, now. But when uh, I was living there, it was cracked and. Yeah, right. So, so it was the first expanse from downtown Dallas into like the first suburbs, and it's a mile away. So downtown isn't that far. <laughs> <laughs> it's right there, but. Uh, but it's this huge street, and so there's two lanes on one side and then one lane on the other, even though they have it going in two different directions. But that's because the smaller lane used to be for servants, and mm, the other one was mm-hmm. for pass-through. Yeah. And yeah. they also have this thing, and maybe next year, um, it's usually on Mother's Day where they'll open some of them, and you can go, like, touring them. And there was one that I went in that had this uh it was like carved into the ground basement and they just put rock and stuff around it. And it was a whole like wine cellar and uh, like 
uh, uh, D&D table layer. It wasn't a D&D table layer, but it would have been perfect. But it would have been great for one. It was just a table like down there <laughs> uh, where people could hang out and drink. It was so cool and it, it was humid down there and everything. I was uh, like, where are we? This is, we're in a cave. It was really cool. Uh, but usually, I mean, they're, they are uh, expensive homes. And, yeah, yeah um, in the millions. Yeah, they're built in the 1800s and a lot of them, turn of the century at the latest. Yeah. So a lot of them are, are considered historic, like historic, yes. and they're protected by yes. the city ordinance. Like there's the whole one where this woman, you, you, t- you know about this one, right? There was a woman who she lived there in the 20s with her family. And there's like this statue that's formed from her because she was the model for it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. fast forward, she was alone. She was elderly. And this these rich guy or not rich guys these uh guys kind of became friends with her but mm. it turns out they had a um antique store thing and they got her to will like leave everything to All them the stuff to the her. whole thing including the house and then it went into yeah. like her family sued and so there was this big fight but the house was completely original they had never added any air conditioning mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. texas y'all and they had never uh, done any changes to it at all so it was in pretty bad uh, shape but I believe within the past several like five years somebody else has bought it finally because yeah. I think that house was built in 1920 it could have been earlier I can't remember I think it's somewhere sometime in that in that period I mean, sometime it's, in that it's, period it's a century old so, if not yeah it's the best story you have to look up Swiss Avenue yeah. it's a really and wasn't, good wasn't she she was an, uh, wasn't she an actress or a dancer or something because she had a theater she was a mod- uh, dancer yeah she was yeah, a dancer she had, she had a theater Dance built into model. the home, like a little auditorium, as I recall, yes. because now you can go there and like you uh, it's a very popular site for people to go get their engagement or their wedding photos because um, it's a fucking gorgeous house. But, yeah, I used to walk huge. by it I mean, every day. Huge. Yeah. When I, when I, lived, I mean, you're ta- uh, when I say huge, I'm of, talking like 6000 square feet. They're yeah, huge houses. Yeah. yeah. And so it's there's like, this one it's like on the, the house from Clue. Right. Yes. Um, we just watched that. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. OK, <laughs> so we want uh, the older section, which is smaller houses. Um, there is one house there and the, uh, smaller, still giant, <laughs> but 4,000 square feet, <laughs> it's tiny. Just, it's only, uh, only 230 rooms, small, right, but we right, call it home. Right. Just tiny. But the, <laughs> it has a porch and the, um, the ceiling of the porch is painted that blue. And I was always like, I wonder if that's their attempt to keep ghosts out because these houses are so old and there's so much... Like, there's this whole story of from a couple of streets over where there was a gas leak and yep. a whole bunch of places, like, people died overnight because yeah. of uh, carbon monoxide. And whereas you can't find a lot of specific accounts, what you can find when you look it up is there was an incident with the yeah. gas company. Yep. And even later on, they'll refer back to the incident with the gas company. So it's <laughs> You mean that crazy. leak that killed a bunch of people on that street? Oh, well, we just yeah. call it. We call it the incident yeah. because we the don't incident? want property values to plummet. Incident. Yeah. And uh, I lived on that street and I would regularly, there would be no wind and there would be like a piece of paper like float down the middle of the street with no wind, no trees blowing, mm-hmm. no other leaves around it are blowing. But this piece of paper would just be... Another friend of mine 
yeah. lived in the apartment next to yours. It turned out, and and oh, had okay. and had similar experiences. He and his his husband had similar experiences to what of Junius. Y- yes, Junius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was like, oh my god, and it was crazy. Yeah, well, that's it. We should tell that story. So we should do like the deep dive on that story at some point. Right? Yeah, there, there you should. go. There you go. Um, yeah. Anyway, let me. Uh, so before we get into uh, part two of my story, which yes. I'll, I'll uh, commence with forthwith. Um, I had I, I found some more odd news items I thought it'd be fun to read. So here's some yes. for you. And two of them are paranormal related. So fun. <gasps> Ooh. And one of them's just fucking cute. The first one is hilarious. Um, so first up, we have Hasbro, the toy maker, is recalling a singing trolls doll after complaints about a suggestively placed button. A consumer <gasps> petition addressed to Walmart, Target, Amazon, and other retailers, uh, which has so far collected nearly 300,000 signatures, claims, quote, when you push this button on the doll's private area, she gasps and giggles. The video <laughs> of a mom demonstrating this feature has gone viral. In a statement to CBS, Julie Duffy, senior vice president of global communications for Hasbro, said, This feature was designed to react when the doll was seated, but we recognize the placement of the sensor may be perceived as inappropriate. <laughs> It's oh, like I, lo- I want one. Uh, what happens. It's what happens when departments don't talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a Virginia animal shelter said a cat named Dennis Quaid will soon be on his way to a new happy forever home with actor Dennis Quaid. <laughs> ah, really? That's yes. fun. The, the Far From Heaven actor said uh, he happened to see the uh, story on television about a cat that shares his name at the Lynchburg Humane Society and decided he had to give the feline a home. It was really off Aww. the wall, he says, but I just couldn't resist. I had to. Um, I'm out to save all the Dennis Quaids of the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the actor said he recently launched a pet-themed podcast with Jimmy Jelnick and Dennis Quaid. The cat will have a new home at the office they share. Uh, maybe Aww. they should start naming animals and shelters after different celebrities and see who bites, Quaid said. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, why not? Such uh, a cool don't story. name a cat after me. I'm not like a Dennis Quaid celebrity, but don't name a cat yeah, after me. Don't, don't name a cat I, after me because we're allergic. Not uh, or yeah. Brandon's allergic and we have two Frenchies. If you want to name a French bulldog after me, then that's a different story. But Different <clears> story, yeah. Uh, this, the I love this one only because I used to work for them. The world's largest blockbuster video store in Oregon is being listed on Airbnb for a series of 1990s-themed movie sleepover parties. Yes, uh, I saw that! Sandy Harding, who has been store manager at the 20-year-old store since 2004. Who? Uh, Sandy Harding. I thought you said Tanya Harding, and I was like, what? <laughs> Tanya Harding, who's fallen on hard times uh, and now manages the last block. But no, uh, no. She's San- still Sandy got Harding. ideas, though. She's still got ideas. She's an idea woman. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Sandy listed the blockbuster in uh, in Bend on the accommodation finding site for up to four people to stay on three available dates in September. Harding had a living room set up inside the store, complete with a large uh, 90s-era TV, a VCR, and a plethora of tapes. It's our 20th year as Blockbuster, where uh, we were hoping to celebrate that this year, but with COVID throwing a wrench into everybody's plans, we were really excited to be able to pull this off, she told CNN. She said the Airbnb listing is a way to give back to the community that has kept the video store in business while all the other Blockbusters have gone bust. It's only $4 for the night, a penny more than what you would spend for a new release, Harding said. <laughs> I feel like they could get more than that. I love it. I used to, so I worked for the Blockbuster in McKinney where I grew up for uh, a few months. And um, man, it was good benefits. But I mean, they didn't pay very well. It was minimum wage, but you know, it's not like the work was terribly hard. 
Um, the hardest thing was just rewinding tapes. But uh, but you could rent five rentals at once, and there was no yeah. like deadline for when you had to bring them back, provided they weren't new releases. Um, how fucking and that went with games, yeah. anything. How fucking cool was that? I miss Blockbuster. Um, <laughs> Albuquerque, New Mexico. A new bed and brew at the corner of 12th Street and Sawmill Road has a long, complicated, and paranormal past. Historians Ooh. say the Sawmill neighborhood was incorporated at the turn of the century when it became Albuquerque's center of industrial production. Workers needed a watering hole and a place, uh, and a place to let loose. So the Gonzalez family built a saloon that would later become the Painted Lady Bed and Brew. What a great name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for the past 130, 140 years or so, there's been thousands of people who've come through here, either nightly, who worked here, or who lived here, uh, or whatever, said Jesse Heron, owner of the Painted Lady Bed and Brew. Heron said he wasn't expecting to experience paranormal activity when he purchased the place. This is not the sort of fun Casper the Friendly Ghost haunting, he said. This is something that is going to require attention, like no one can go on living like this, he said. Heron said psychics and a Buddhist priestess have visited the property to try and release the troubled souls. Um, uh, uh, the priestess said there are three spirits here. Two of them are female, and another one is a male who likes to sit in the corner and doesn't want to fucking leave. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, my corner. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, Heron believes dealing with the presence... Uh, 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 excuse me, I've lost my place. Heron believes dealing with a presence like that is the exact kind of interaction that continues to fuel the property's paranormal reputation. I can tell you, he said, especially as someone who's lived here and who immediately felt attracted to it, there's definitely something about this property that just draws you in. Something special. And finally, online poker company Cards Chat, which is delving into content marketing lately, has listed Florida as the least paranormally active state in the United States. According to their research, the gambling odds of seeing a ghost in the Sunshine State are so astronomically low, a simple $100 wager could win you nearly $1.3 million. The state where <laughs> someone is most likely to see a ghost is Illinois. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that... Florida surprises me because of uh, St. Augustine. Right, and, and of Key West, and of Ybor City. Ybor City, um, yeah. England-based marketing executive Anna Osborne, who represents Card Chats, uh, Cards Chat, <laughs> I kept reading that is Card Chat. Uh, <laughs> That's a different podcast. Uh, oh, he's such a card shark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, says the data was collected using manual web research with keywords and combinations of keywords such as haunted, ghosts, and the paranormal. If one person declared they had seen a ghost more than once, or multiple people have shared the same inexplicable event over a period of time, then we noted that as haunted. Osborne said. She noted though that there are no specific, uh, there is no specific proof of haunting, so the data is subjective. And a lot of people <laughs> living in Florida are like, uh, fuck you. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, what about Ybor City? What about St. Augustine? What about fucking Key West? What about all these places? So I'm like, again, it's a gambling company. And they're like, we think. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Just, right. But I do find it funny that like, everyone's like, oh, Illinois. Yeah, we get, yeah, Illinois. We, yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, Illinois is definitely the most. There's a lot of mob stuff yeah. up there. So, Speaking so, of mob stuff, Fierce City's really good. I just need to say that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, oh, my yeah, God. Ha I mean, we you have to watch Rudy Giuliani, but meh. Um, <laughs> but it's still really good. Speaking of must-watches, oh, my God. we Brandon and I binged uh, all six episodes of uh, uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark Yeah. Um, over the weekend. And holy fucking so shit. I mean. It's so good. I'm actually kind of mad it was so good. I just yeah. wanted to sit down and enjoy a nice, like, limited series of murder porn. And I had so many feelings. Like, it took me so through this feelings. whole fucking journey. And I'm like, oh. Oh my 
God. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I will Next say, Perry Mason. It's weird to watch. I don't know that I should should confess this, but it's weird to watch a show and have a favorite victim. Like in the sense that like <laughs> the one couple that 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 are still married and they're the only uh-huh. couple to have stayed together after being yeah. attacked by this fucking oh, psycho. Yeah. They're so adorable. They're and we're so like, cute. we love them. And whenever they would come back to them, we're like, oh, punk kids, we just love them. So I don't mean I like them as victims. I just right, of the victims. Really they're my favorite people because they just couple. they're just adorable. They remind me of like Mima and Peepaw, and you're like, oh. But anyway, yeah. I'll be gone with dark. It's amazing. The story of Michelle so McNamara, good. like as far as I know, um, the only example of a true crime writer who was really fucking good, by the way, like like so good, um, actually contributing to bringing a killer to justice mm-hmm. after her death. Yeah, um, tragic really death. Cool. Yeah, which is it's so, just so fucking. And then good. next next on your list is Perry Mason. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Good. We're watching the second season of Mind Hunter. Oh yeah. I need to delve into that. I. I, oh, I'm more so I'm more into true crime documentaries than I am fictional shows. Um, but well, but it's I, fictional but, based on a book that's written by one of the Mindhunter guys. So yeah, they were the ones who coined uh, the phrase serial killer, and so they started interviewing it, uh, all of these people. Douglas Douglas somebody not. Um, uh, he's, he's started, I want to say he, John, but also John Douglas. You know, John Douglas. Right, John okay. Douglas. He's I, uh, like, I believe I, he it founded might just Quantico. Be that He's an apostle. I don't know. It could be Matthew, said, Mark, or I, Luke. I don't know. <laughs> I almost, I almost said John Douglas, and I was like, "No, that can't be right." Um, he thinks uh, the. <laughs> yeah, so it's really. Or I know uh, Douglas Adams is what I almost said. Um, oh, which I'm yeah, like, oh no, good. yeah, that's definitely. Yeah, there, there, um, I just stepped on my own joke. Way to go, Tatum. <laughs> uh, it's really good though. I recommend it. We're in the second season now, but they're just they flesh out the characters really well, and the and the characters that are in the team are based on and some of the stuff in their life is mm-hmm. kind of elaborated and it's not necessarily what's happening but it adds to the dynamic of the storytelling and so it's one of those rare shows that gets the mix right so afterwards you want to go look up what really happened oh, and did that so really cool. happen and so I usually have IMDB up and something else up on my computer so I can search it and be like oh yeah or yeah. I do remember that this happened and the and the people who play the serial killers are so fucking good like just it's like Uh, hey actor would you like to have a really fun acting exercise you know they're so so good at those uh, roles um you know so every once in a while someone and i'm sure you experience this too if you play a character that they have a problem with for whatever they'll be like oh you should it's like why are you not going after anyone that played a villain on Mindhunter. They're so good or, oh, yeah. you know, whatever. But, I always say uh, this as a comment when someone, like, you know, if I'm a villain in a series or a show or something and people are like, I hated you. I'm like, then I did my job. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if they feel, if I, if they like me, I feel I failed them. <laughs> right. Or that they have issues. Or, um, yeah, which or, I'm okay with that. Or that society has failed them. Society has failed uh, them. But anyway, so okay, tell us your story. Okay, so uh, fair warning: this I doing like really delving into this. I figured out this is gonna be it's gonna be a three parter. So I'm we're not even gonna get to the end today, and uh, it's so good. And there's so many details. There's so many of, the, of like specific instances which you know is my bread and butter and this kind of stuff. And it's yeah. so fucking good. And there's only one element of the story I think is questionable, but we'll get to it. Um, so as you recall, where we left off. Stephen Lachance and his kids, uh, Michael, Matthew, and Lydia, uh, had. See, he's got two apostles. <laughs> Lydia's the un, the un, the unsung apostle. Um, oh, I guess Michael's not an apostle. You're an angel. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's weird. I don't know why I have that reputation. But anyway. Um, <laughs> it's just the name. <laughs> What's in a name? Uh, where was I? Oh, yes. So uh, they fled the house in the middle of the night because they, you know, they, uh, Stephen saw a shadow Shit figure. Shit was going down. Shit was going down. It was really intense. Yeah. So that's where we left off. And if, uh, okay. uh, you know, rather than recap it, just go listen to the episode, please. Um, so. Having spent a sleepless night at his parents' place, Stephen and the kids returned home the next morning to find, yet again, every goddamn light in the house on. At least this time, though, there was a more down-to-earth explanation. The family had fled so quickly the night before, they just didn't give a <laughs> shit about the electric bill. So they were like, that's on us, that's on us. Uh, <laughs> but They had that special plan, that middle of the night, it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, force majeure. Um <laughs> Uh, Stephen and his parents searched the house for any sign of an intruder. Though given the unearthly nature of the attacker from the night before, Stephen didn't exactly hold his breath for proof. A picture of Lydia had come unmoored from the wall in the family room, which didn't do wonders for Stephen's anxiety. But apart from that, the only oddity was the sudden sound of yet another box falling somewhere upstairs while they were looking around. Lydia, meanwhile, explored the old shed out back. Now, from the look of it, the dilapidated building predated the house by quite a few years. Inside were boxes and boxes of family records. We're talking photo albums, birth certificates, death certificates, diplomas, awards, announcements, obituaries. I mean, the fucking works. Someone had clearly abandoned these records in a hurry, at least it looked like it, and were like just leaving behind an invaluable family history in the process. What would possess someone to do that. Well, when confronted, the landlord, Mr. Winters, who will have more to say in a little bit, claimed that the boxes belonged to the previous tenant. It was a young girl who uh, promised to come back for them once she'd gotten sell- settled into her new place on the other side of the country, but who seemed to have forgotten all about them. But later, though, and with, like by later, I mean within the same phone conversation, Mr. Winters told the chance um, that he believed the items actually belonged to a drug dealer who used to live there and who was forced to flee in the middle of the night because the cops were on to him. <laughs> so, Stephen, <laughs> the cops are on to him. The co- the, Mr. Mr. Winters is a weird fucking guy who could not ever stick to the story, but uh, but again, he himself may be a fiction, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, now, Stephen didn't press the issue because clearly the landlord couldn't keep his facts straight or wasn't interested in telling the truth. Stephen did, however, ask uh, Mr. Winters if anyone else had experienced paranormal activity in the house. Not to my knowledge, the landlord said. He suggested Stephen have the house blessed by a priest, and that, it seems, was that. Now, a business trip to Indianapolis took the haunting off Stephen's mind for a few days while the kids stayed with his folks. Needless to say, Lydia, Michael, and Matthew were not terribly thrilled when the time came to go back home. Fortunately, the family's first full night back in the house passed without incident, and the following day was delightful. Stephen's younger brother, Josh, was in town, and uh, he loved the kids, so he, Stephen, and and the the rest, they all hung out that day and just had a really great time. It was the first time they'd really just kind of had a breath of, ah, since they'd moved into this place. And I guess at the time, Stephen said he hadn't seen his brother Josh in a, in a few years. Like he lived, uh, I think he said he lived in Seattle. And um, uh, so his visit was was rare, was rare. And it was just what they needed. And he was going to be there for a few weeks. So he becomes a kind of player in this story. Um, now that night, however, as good as the day was, uh, that night was the first appearance of a recurring nightmare that would plague Stephen's sleep for years to come. Hmm. In the dream, Stephen would this be... This dream is important to the story. It's not just a random dream, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. 
<laughs> yeah, it's he dreamed that he was a dog uh, being chased <laughs> by a giant That's real scary. Net. No. Um, in the dream, uh, Stephen would be kind of creeping down the basement steps in the middle of the night, his hand clutching the rail, um, and he would find this dude frantically scrubbing himself in the butcher shower. You recall the old butcher shower, which mm-hmm. is where the men used to wash off away from the women folk, you know, once they had slaughtered the hogs. It was just, I guess, a polite, it's like it's like a gym shower. <laughs> right. Um, and he could see this figure by the light of this guttering candle that was that was flickering nearby. And so the light was poor, but it was obvious the man was trying to wash off bloodstains. And from his labored breathing, it appeared that he was perhaps enjoying the experience a little Ooh. too much. I urge you to get the book and read the description of the dream. It's fucking terrifying. Ooh, um, what's the book again? Tell uh, The book is called The Uninvited by Stephen A. Lachance, and it's available on Kindle. Uh, the dream. You bought was, something on Kindle? I buy, I buy a lot of things on Kindle for this podcast, as it turns out. I was like, you know what? I'm running out of shelf space, and fuck it. <laughs> yeah, um, right. The dream was so vivid, so weirdly unsettling, even though nothing really happened in it, uh, that uh, once he woke up, Stephen had trouble kind of shaking off the idea that he'd somehow uh, tapped into a repressed memory of his own, which of course made no sense. I mean, he only lived in the house now for a handful of weeks. And bizarrely enough, when he woke from this dream and glanced at the clock, he realized that he and the kids had been asleep for 17 hours. (gasps) Uh, several nights later, a Sunday, Stephen dozed off in his living room chair what if while they were the boys... really, really tired afterwards. I mean, like, probably, but for but for all of them, oh, that's right? crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It seems like I mean, it's weird. It was weird. It's almost like they were, in, you know, like a like drug induced. Scary, sleep. but at the same time, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> so I have I have feelings, multiple feelings <laughs> about this one. Uh, <laughs> God, I wish I could sleep. I can't really sleep more than six hours straight before my body wants to get up. And even then, uh, I wake up feeling like creaky and old, and yeah, it sucks. I can't, can't do it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I know that's not the case for you. You could sleep for fifteen hours. I can sleep could. for Brandon, no. I can sleep for eight hours. Brandon probably. would sleep for fifteen hours if if he didn't I wish have, I could. if he didn't have a stomach. If he didn't, if his tummy didn't growl and wake him up, I think he only gets up to eat food. Now, I could stay in bed that long. That's not oh, a problem. No, totally different situation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I could stay in bed all fucking day. <laughs> yeah. Um, several nights later, a Sunday, as it happened, Stephen dozed off in his living room chair while the boys played in the master bedroom. Lydia lay stretched out across the bed, reading her favorite book. The phone jolted Stephen awake. He didn't know how long he'd been out. It was his mom. Uh, as they chatted about their plans for the week, Stephen realized an interior door somewhere in the house was rattling violently. At first, he dismissed it as the kids horsing around. When the noise got louder, he shouted angrily for the boys to stop. That's not us, Lydia called out from the master bedroom, her voice quavering. I'm reading and the boys are asleep. All at once, the temperature plummeted. Stephen felt a bolt of electricity surge through his body out of nowhere. A foul odor filled the house. Before he could process what was happening, the screaming began, the piercing, Agonized shrieks of a man in unthinkable pain seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere at once, ramping up to unbearable decibels. The door connecting the master bedroom to the living room slammed shut. 
Now, on instinct, Stephen sprang to action. The house came alive with noise. Uh, and in addition to the screaming, there was this infernal banging from upstairs. It was ringing out like gunshots. Lydia screamed, Daddy, what's happening? He tried to pry the bedroom door open, and it wouldn't budge. The sickening realization dawned on him. The other door to the master bedroom fed out onto the bottom landing. Something was making its way downstairs toward his children. That was just the ah! idea he had. He's like, I've got to get them the fuck out of there. Right. Good he's daddy, such, though. He's such a good dad, right? So Stephen threw himself against the door. He could swear he felt something behind him watching him, something he <laughs> knew he did not want to turn around to see. So he focused on this door. Um, his Before long, his own screams were adding to the unearthly chorus. In desperation, he finally cried out, out of character, God help me and the door finally gave way. The children oh. rushed into his arms. No sooner had they done so than the door near the stairs slammed shut. They all fled the house in a panic. Now, before coming to their rescue, Stephen had yelled into the phone receiver for his mom to come help. He and the kids were now safely in the car waiting for his parents to come, uh, and they were parked on top of this nearby hill at the end of the street that offered them a pretty good view of the house. They sat there watching in astonishment as this hulking black shape like lumbered from room to room in the windows, and and it was like blotting out the light each time it moved, and they were like, there is, there's... It's fucking looking for us. That was Stephen's thought. It's like, it is looking for us. And eventually it made it to the kitchen, mind you, because all the lights were on. Uh, yeah. And it just kind of dissolved once it got to the, the bay windows in the kitchen. Oh, there can you, you are. Can you imagine? Yeah, can you imagine? Oh, thank God there, you're okay. Can you just, just imagine <laughs> sitting in your car, watching your house, and you see this fucking thing, a person or whatever, going from room to room, and you're like, what the fuck is going? Like, ah, God damn it. Um... Now, a little while later, his parents showed up uh, with his brother. Leaving the children safely in the car, the adults marched into the house to get to the bottom of this. Uh, as she set foot in the living room, Stephen's mom gasped, what is that? Her fingers outstretched. She could feel the strange electrical charge running through the room. She waited a second and said, uh, my grandchildren are not coming back to this house. And then she fucking <laughs> left. <laughs> Grandma power! Mm -hmm. I love it. As Stephen packed up a few odds and ends, the sound of scuffling and muted whispers flitted from upstairs. With his brother and father in tow, Stephen bounded up to the boys' room where the noise seemed to be coming from, but there was nothing, no source, not a peep. A few moments later, his brother's wife, Rita, called out from below as she entered the house. Grandma had taken the kids back to their place, she said. No sooner had Stephen commented about how quiet things suddenly seemed now that Rita was there when uh, a young girl's scream rang out through the house, stopping the adults oh. dead in their tracks. Now, as they listen in stark terror, just I imagine them looking at each other like, the fuck? <laughs> right, yeah. They could hear what sounded like this deep labored breathing in the room with them. Stephen uh, uh, said, uh, he looked at Rita and he was like, Rita, just hold your breath for a second. And they all did. Uh, tears began welling in her eyes as it dawned on all of them. The breathing was coming from between them. No! Like, <laughs> no! So fucking terrifying. Everyone got the hell out of Dodge, needless to say. Now, they were packing up the car. Uh, you know, Stephen had grabbed a few things and were throwing them into his in, into the truck. His brother, Josh, meanwhile, had gotten the keys and was locking the front door. And as he was doing so, this rustling came from the trees above the porch. Looking up, Josh and Stephen could make out a shadow 
dropping from branch to branch, the limbs <gasps> shuddering in its wake. They I don't like e- it. They looked at each other and they just knew, like, fuck it. And they ran for the truck at full bore, um, reaching it Do just in time. Do you think they shit themselves before they ran, while they ran, or after they got to the truck? <laughs> Why choose? Um <laughs> <laughs> e, all of the above. Um, right. They ran for the truck at full bore, reaching it just in time to hear whatever it was land in the yard behind them with a giant thud. They never looked back. Whew. Now, Stephen contacted Mr. Winters the next day and informed him that he wanted out of the goddamn lease. Now, here again, and I mentioned uh, in my first uh, uh segment that uh, I don't think Mr. Winters is entirely real. I, I think there's some truth to the landlord and some of the things that, that he or she may have done. Uh, but I, I feel like Mr. Winters is an editor's edition, like an editor's. Uh, I, mm-hmm. Here's the thing. An editor's going to look at the story and be like, it's really good. It's really believable. But you're never going to get an option for a movie if you don't have a flesh and blood villain that can be played right. by a, a face actor. You know, um, so I feel like Mr. Winters is is not an outright liar or fabrication, but probably an exaggeration of of the real landlord. And I just feel like it, because the rest of the story rings so true that the Mr. Winter's details feel like something that he added in to satisfy an editor after the fact. Like I could just, right. I can sense, the writer in me can sense Lachance's reluctance to to try to, to write this part. Yeah. So he kind of- The shitty part though, is that then it brings the whole thing into question. Well, right? and here it's it's a credit to Lachance's writing style and, and the story he tells that it's so believable that even with this clearly questionable detail, the, the story still, I, I completely buy it. The skeptic in me yeah. still goes, this is a good story. And how I, it's because things don't, when the problem with, and those of you that want to tell a bullshit ghost story, uh, here's a lesson for you. <laughs> don't model the story you want to tell off of a fucking movie because it's not how the real paranormal experiences play out. You know, they don't they don't build an intensity and then suddenly, you know, bring you into this great spectacular denouement where, you know, this, these, this monstrous being is chasing you down a hallway. I mean, Things like that happen, but they happen randomly. Like you might have a, a, you know, weeks of just weird little things like footsteps or objects moving or whatever, and maybe nightmares. And then something really amazing, like something astonishing will happen that everyone sees. And then for a few more weeks, it's little piddly shit. And it just goes back and forth. There's no, there's no rhythm or the rhythms of a true supernatural or true haunting don't conform to a narrative. They just don't. Uh, and, and to Stephen's uh, credit, he doesn't try to form a narrative out of it. He's like, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this happened, and this happened. You know, it's it's really, it makes it very believable. But all that said, I think Mr. Winters is just kind of a way to probably protect the real landlord <laughs> and right, also yeah. give us give us an interesting character. I, I want Mr. Winters to be real because he's fucking hilarious. <laughs> um <laughs> But anyway, so what happens is, so Stephen contacted him, told him whatever, once out of the lease, uh, and uh, Mr. Winters asked to see Stephen in person, agrees to meet at the house, but arrives an hour late, which was apparently something he did all the time, and he'd be like, oh, it's traffic, but there's no fucking traffic in this town. Um, Stephen apparently waits on the front steps for nearly an hour, uh, you know, when Mr. Winters finally shows up, clutching his wig against the wind, which is something, <laughs> like the wig, he always goes back to this wig that, like, it sounds like it could not be phonier if it had a chin strap. Um <laughs> 
but uh, and a, but accompanying Mr. Winters apparently is this overweight woman named Lillian who just so happens to be draped in a flower print muumuu reminiscent of the basement wallpaper, whatever the fuck that means. Oh, that's she, weird. She doesn't seem to have anything to say or do. Uh, but once it's just weird that she's along and and uh, Mr. Winters at some point says like we can't stay long because I have to get her back to the home and he like does a little thing with his finger to indicate that she's crazy. And it's kind of like, what the fuck? It just doesn't, it just seems too much. It's too much. Um, anyway, yeah. once inside, Mr. Winters notes Stephen's fondness for candles and politely accuses him of witchcraft. He's like, do you think this place could be haunted because you're uh, stirring things up? And so Stephen's like, fuck you. <laughs> um, you know, he sees through the obvious ruse and calls the landlord out. Lillian, on the other hand, chimes up and she's this big woman. She's now sitting on this couch and Stephen is wondering, is like, is the couch going to give way? That's not nice. <laughs> it's not nice, but I mean, she's apparently a big woman, and there's no reason for her to be there. There's none, so it's just weird that it's. It's. I think the suggestion is that Mr. Mr. Winters is not like coming to this house by himself. By himself, right? Um, so he's got to have and, uh, a support system that also resembles the basement walls. <laughs> it's well, Seems you know. Legit. If you know the idea, all you gotta do is uh, I get it. If something comes for you, you just gotta run faster than her, and it sounds like it's easy. Um, now, Lillian at some point pipes up that she's heard stories about the ghost of a Native American chieftain haunting the place, but Winters won't have it. He refuses to let Stephen out of the lease unless Stephen can find a suitable replacement. Stephen begrudgingly accepts the terms on condition that Winters not rent the house to a family with children. Winters agrees, and in two months' time, you'll be happy to know, during which uh, the family stays at his parents' house, Stephen and the kids get out of the lease. Now, Lachance adds a final detail here that I have to take with a grain of salt, and I urge you to as well, though there may be some truth to it. Well, there would be truth to it later, but this is, I'm getting ahead of myself. And what I'm sure we're meant to take as the final indication that Mr. Winters is somehow sinister and in league with the house, it turns out he's leased the place to a family with two small children, after all. And when Stephen tries to tell him, like, that's not what we agreed to, he just won't hear it. He's like, oh, but yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, kind of thing. Like, it's really, seems unusual. Anyway... So while packing up the house with his father, Stephen decided, um, well, they, they started hearing this banging from upstairs and Stephen was like, fuck it, I've had enough. So he like starts banging on the ba- on the staircase banister and saying like, <laughs> fucking stop, you've won, we're leaving, fuck off. Um, yeah. Not his words, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the new duplex up the road was just what he and the children needed to regroup. Uh, whatever it costed them in the union house, stayed in the union house, at least physically, but the recurring nightmare about the man in the shower clung to Stephen like a parasite. Three years later, he was still waking up in a cold sweat just about every other night. Though he was wow. uh, though he was high functioning, depression lingered, leaving him irritable and run down. Well, he was sleepy. Right. I felt like something was literally sucking away my energy. He writes. Lachance submitted to a stress test, a CAT scan, and a sleep study to put himself right. He hadn't been able to sleep in the in a dark room since Union House. Trying to talk himself out of the fear did absolutely nothing. Once the lights were off, the darkness always seemed to move to to like churn as if it was about to ambush him so he slept with the lights on hey he took our advice <laughs> it's, a, it's okay to sleep with the lights on mr lachance that's right that's um, right he's probably listening going bitch i knew that well before you did um i'm but sure he, he's but, listening but 100 sure i mean <laughs> if his book sales go up uh <laughs> that's true you're um, welcome seriously buy the book you guys it's one of my favorite examples of a true first person haunting account uh and it's just there's so much detail and i'm again this is only part of it so um but even even uh uh 
you know, sleeping with the lights on, the nightmare always cut what little sleep he got off. So um, he always covered the windows. Um, why? Because he couldn't shake the feeling that someone was looking in on him while he and the family slept. In fact, the feeling was so strong on one occasion that Stephen lurched out of bed and threw open the blinds. Now, no one was outside, but that didn't stop Stephen's mind from racing. Someone felt, it felt like someone was standing there. He knew it. He, he couldn't, uh, you know, see them, but they were there. They just had to be. Um, now, the tests yielded troubling results. Stephen suffered from sleep apnea, meaning he would stop breathing roughly once every minute, preventing him from phasing into REM sleep. Now, what's especially odd about that is the nightmare. Technically speaking, the nightmare shouldn't be happening at all because he can't reach right. REM sleep. Doctors were puzzled. Um, then one night, the feeling of someone standing outside the window turned out to be more than a feeling. He'd gone to bed Wanted so tired. He'd Sorry. gone to bed so tired he could barely walk, poor guy. When the nightmare tore him out of sleep yet again, he met with the familiar eerie sensation that someone was watching through the window. He sprang for the blinds and looked out. For the first time, he could actually see someone. Not only that, they were moving brazenly closer and closer to the window. Stephen could make out the figure of a man. The prowler's blonde hair shone in the patchy moonlight. His irises glowed white. Stephen watched, transfixed with horror, as the figure, a demon in the shape of a man, he calls it, smashed through the window. Ooh. All at once, Lydia woke him up. <laughs> he, <laughs> he'd been having another nightmare. Another one. Another nightmare that, on principle, was impossible. He got the feeling that whatever had attacked his family at Union House wasn't done with them yet. Enough was enough. He'd spent the past three years reading up on other people's terrifying paranormal encounters. It was time to tell his own. Thus began his online blog. Now, over the next few months, he struck up an online friendship with a woman named Sheila, who, deeply interested in his story, asked if Stephen wouldn't mind giving her directions to Union House so she could take some pictures. He didn't see the harm uh, as long as she respected the privacy of the people living there, and uh, Sheila excitedly contacted him afterwards to say she'd actually met with the current tenant, Helen March, who flat mm. out told Sheila, oh yes, this house is haunted as fuck. <laughs> uh, Helen asked to, to be put in touch with Stephen, actually, so Sheila gave, passed his information off. Now, the circumstances of Helen coming to the rent, uh, to rent Union House mirrored Stephen's almost exactly, right down to the weird Mr. Winters behaving oddly, showcasing the house like a museum, putting special attention on the butcher shower in the basement, wanting to finalize the paperwork in, the, in a restaurant rather than on site. Um, and it seems the minute she settled into the house with her husband, Charlie, their daughter, and a grandson, Things took a dark turn. When she was in the house alone, she would often hear someone breathing right next to her. Footsteps mm. would thump through the second floor hallway and down the stairs. Someone cut the hair off of all her daughter's dolls. Uh, a stray kitten they'd taken in was found horribly mangled in an upstairs bedroom. Mm. One night, while her daughter and grandson were staying at her parents' place and Charlie was working late, he, uh, uh, where he was, a, uh, believe he was a maintenance man at the local, uh, local nursing home, the police showed up at Helen's front door. Someone, they said, had called in a suicide threat. Well, she was the only fucking person there, and she certainly hadn't done it. She'd come home once to find every, or she often came home rather to find every fucking light on. Um, so there's a theme. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes windows. I enjoy that these, whoever the spirit or spirits are, whatever they are, they're a little afraid of the dark. 
Enjoy that. <laughs> right. They're like, hey, it's okay to sleep with the light on, motherfuckers. Um, yeah. Now, sometimes, though, in addition to the lights being on, windows and doors would be wide open. Um, also, weirdly, the rain gutters developed this bad habit of catching fire out of nowhere. The transformer in front of the house exploded about every other fucking month. Unseen hands moved objects all the time. Disembodied voices whispered throughout the house. Worst of all, something pushed our poor grandson down the basement steps, and actually he sustained oh. a little bit of an injury from it. Helen and Stephen decided to team up and do some research, just like we would do, Jamie. I love it, yes. Union House was built in 1936 from a Sears Roebuck kit sold through the company's mail order catalog. I should say here that I misspoke in the first segment uh, when I mentioned that the house was pushing 150. I just looked at the date wrong. It was built in 1936, so it's not yet 100 years old. Um, the neighborhood, though, had once been the property of Army Officer Captain John T. Cromwell. Cromwell was a 33rd degree Mason and a force to reckon with in the town. Legend has it, he lined up 400 Confederate soldiers and summarily executed them on his property. Union House just happens to be uh, where the slave quarters used to stand. In 1971, a woman who lived one street over murdered her husband before taking her own life. Just two years before Stephen and the kids moved into Union House, a man up the street shot and killed himself in front of his son. The nearby nursing home had been a combat hospital during the Civil War, afterwards becoming the poorhouse. And as if that weren't enough, scores of tuberculosis, uh, tuberculosis victims were buried in mass unmarked graves in the area. Oh, and you'll you'll fucking love this, Jamie. There's a goddamn tunnel. Captain Cromwell. Yes, the tunnel. Every blank has <laughs> a tunnel now. Captain Cromwell was reportedly a big player in the slave trade before the war, and had the tunnel built to transport them discreetly from the nearby railroad station. So some think that he was a discreet Confederate sympathizer, and perhaps he was just hedging his bets, depending on which way the war went. He sounds like an awful fucking person. Yeah. Uh, no less than, we do know that no less than six Union soldiers were executed on his property for mistakes made at the Battle of Pilot Knob in Southeast Missouri, but no one knows why precisely they were killed there. Um, yeah. Town historians don't openly discuss these details as a rule. There seems to be a tacit agreement among them that some things are better left unspoken. Um, and needless to say, local folklore has it that Cromwell practiced voodoo and that he was in league with the devil. Uh, whether that's true or not, uh, Stephen and Helen encountered a lot of resistance from from uh, the library whenever they wanted to look at records. They were just like, it was weird. It was weird. Um, be that as it may, uh, long thought to be a tall tale, the, a work crew replacing pipes actually did discover the tunnel sometime in the late 90s, but it was immediately bricked up. But it is on record that tunnel was fucking there. Mm. Helen and Stephen wondered how much truth there could be to the stories about Cromwell's evil deeds. Meanwhile, Helen's daughter, Kelly, had taken to cutting herself. At first, it was hoped her case was typical. Just young people often cut themselves to cope with the emotional pressures of being a teenager. But Kelly wasn't just inflicting self-harm to deal with trauma. She was hearing voices that told her to do it. The poor girl had come to believe that by drawing her own blood, she could appease the house's evil spirits. She was doing this to get Ooh. this to protect her family from these evil wow. spirits. Like, oh, poor girl. This was the final straw. Helen and her family needed help. Stephen was about, wasn't about to let Union House tear them apart the way it had tried to do with his own family. It was time to go back. Together, the unlikely friends yeah. contacted a psychic investigator from St. Louis who agreed to do a sweep of the house. Armed with EMF meters, Betty, the psychic, and her colleague, a man named Lee, claimed to make contact with the spirit of a man upstairs who, quote, didn't like having people live there. 
They also claim there was a spiritual vortex in the basement, powerful enough for evil to punch through whenever it wanted. Seal up the basement. <laughs> it's not my place to tell you to move, Betty told them. But if you continue to live here, you need to try to avoid that area as much as possible. Now, fair warning, this next part is rather graphic and horrible. One night after the psychic visit, Helen called Stephen in an absolute panic. Kelly, she said, had seen a baby in a white dress hanging upside down from the tree out front. Stephen rushed over. Charlie was working the late shift that night, so it was just him, Helen, uh, and Kelly sitting on the porch waiting to see if this ghastly apparition would show itself again. Uh, a storm rolled through. The wind picked up, the trees rustled in agitation. As sheet lightning began to light up the sky in blinding flashes, the trio gawked in horror. Hanging in the tree, Stephen writes, lit only by blinking flashes of lightning, was a baby. It hung mm. upside down by its feet and wore a christening gown. The gleaming white gown uh, glowed brightly in each flash of light. The child was clearly dead as it swung there from the tree. Ugh. The storm broke, driving them indoors. Later, after the storm had passed, Helen opened a window that looked out onto the tree, and it was empty. But things weren't over. As they listened, the soft, plaintive voice of a child humming in the rain echoed from below. Uh, uh. Though the child should have been visible from their vantage point, neither Stephen or Helen could see anyone. Stephen called out to the child. A low, angry growl emanated through the window in response. <coughs> inches from Stephen's face. No! He stayed with Helen until Charlie came home from work and then himself fucking got out of there, but he couldn't always be there when the house showed its fangs. The haunting started to really take its toll on that Helen. That was really nice of him. I just have to say that. That was yeah. very nice of him to be like, He's a good I'll guy. come over. He sounds like yeah. a really good guy. Now, each time he saw Helen, uh, she looked more exhausted, her smile a little more faded. On one occasion, she showed him what appeared to be teeth marks on her arm. Something bit me in my sleep, she said. That's new. Mm. They arranged for several different paranormal research groups to investigate the house. But far from helping matters, this only made things weirder. Naturally, each team came with its own psychic. Each psychic, in turn, avowed to feel a completely different sort of presence in the house than the last. Spirits of every conceivable stripe and with all manner of tragic backstories were blamed for the haunting. The cast of supernatural residents changed with each fucking investigation. What evidence the researchers did gather was seldom shared with Helen. Some groups refused to investigate on the basis that a rival team had been there first. <laughs> Upon entering the house, one woman, this is hilarious, immediately removed her shoes and began rubbing her feet on the walls and the furniture to establish a psychic link. I guess she just, oh. she was clairvoyant through her feet. Um, she could have just st stood, there, stood there on the ground. Like the ground is also attached. The floor of the house is actually I, a part I, of I, the house. I think she was just trying to so. satisfy a weird fetish. Um, at least one weirdo. group left after 10 minutes uh, claiming a team member had been thrown against the wall by an unseen presence. Another investigator insisted on calling Helen at four in the morning to discuss her case despite repeated requests he pick a better time. <laughs> the parade of frauds and hucksters gradually proved as draining as the house itself. After several years of this, Helen stopped allowing investigators into her home. I could take anyone off the street, let them into my house, and after 10 minutes they could tell me this damn place is haunted, she groaned. What I need <laughs> is help. Then, yeah. Stephen, then Stephen had an idea. Between him, his online friend Sheila, and the handful of dedicated amateurs with whom he'd built up a relationship over the years with his online blog, why not start their own paranormal group? Yeah. Helen, Helen would be his first client. Well, how about that? And that is where I'll leave it for this you week. You son of a bitch. 
<laughs> well, at least I didn't leave it in the middle of fucking ch- running for their lives like last That's week. That's true. That's true. You're right. You're right. I'll allow it. Again, it comes from the book The Uninvited by Stephen Lachance. Uh, really good. There's also a sequel that I haven't dipped into yet, so I may I may be a milk in this motherfucker for, right. <laughs> for episodes to come. It's just so good. And honestly, I mean, it's, it's funny that this topic has just become a book report for me, but it's so good. It is literally, in my humble opinion, one of the best examples of a firsthand account written with like an ear toward detail, but it, it's got a, you know, it's just got this great emotional color to it. it it just it just rings so true, except for the Mr. Winters yeah. part. But wow, so. yeah, that's good. Well, let's take a quick break. Okay, uh, and then and then get on, uh, we'll to my on to my story. Topic. All right, all right, all right. Back in a moment, <laughs> you guys. It's Patreon time. It's Patreon time. <laughs> yes. It's when we talk to you about joining Patreon time. Chat time um, with ghouls. That's right. We're here to say, hey, thank you guys for your support. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a Patreon that we are using instead of commercials. This is our commercial uh, for the Patreon. Uh, Look at that. More for the price. That's right. (laughs) Patreon.com forward slash ghoul intentions. We have several different tiers at the, I believe, $8 and up tiers. We have a Discord um, and we have chats every month with our Discord. The coming month of August. August. Yes, we're we going to be have doing two, our... and we're, we've moved it uh, to we've make it, it to make the time a little more agreeable with our friends overseas. So yes. uh, in August, we're going to do it on uh, the first chat on the fifteenth at noon. And that will be uh, at Central noon. Standard, and that will time. be for everybody, right? Yes, that's for everybody. Right? Yeah, in the, on the Discord. On the Discord, and that's noon uh, Central Standard Time, uh, U.S. time, and the 29th will be uh, same thing, noon. Uh, Central Standard Time, and that one is for the patrons. The Phantasm. The Phantasm tiers. Yeah, the the, yes. dis, the first, the fifteenth is for the all Discord all members, and the <laughs> it's the all skate, yeah, and then the 29th is for Phantasm specifically. Uh, so thank you guys. Um, join the Patreon. It is a lot of fun if you're on the Discord. It's a really great community. They're playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's There's so a cool. whole group playing Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. They design the teas, um, and it, we just have a really good time over there. Yeah. But also, anything is appreciated. Uh, we Very pay much. our engineer for, for the podcast. Matt, so who is awesome! Yeah, yeah. And so, in lieu of commercials, we just are asking you guys to support us on Patreon. Um, tears start at a dollar and go up. So, anything yeah. anything is appreciated. You guys are the best. And on to the next. Yes, join us for the spoopy fun. Yes. All right. So interestingly, um, uh, there's been some weird internet friction, I would say, Mm. between our Zoom call right now. For those who don't know, we're not in the same room because quarantine happened. Mm -hmm. And we are, we Zoom and chat at least half an hour before we start every day. Yeah, yeah, at least half an hour. At least half an hour. And then we get, you know, get into it. It's really nice. It's it's a regular two weeks, two days a week we get to hang out. I know. So it's kind of like the same. Uh... But there are less uh, mugs for me to clean up after you leave. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to drink my own coffee. It's weird. I know. I totally moved my coffee pot around because I, you know, did a bunch of moving stuff around. So I moved it over by the sink. And I was like, oh, <laughs> Michael, I can't confuse him when he comes <laughs> over right now. But, um, but anyway, so 
usually it's not a problem. Like there is no, yeah, there the are connections no issues. Are great. And it's I, just and, like, but it was when I was telling my story, I started getting, you, you noticed I was ditching out on your end yeah. and I was getting notifications that my connection was weak, which I've never gotten on this computer before. And our, uh, I had Brandon come in and check on the break. I'm like, Brandon, technology yeah. is doing something I don't understand. So he comes in here and he's like, yeah, our internet speed's fine. It hasn't ditched at all. And so maybe, yeah. maybe. And you, mine is always fine maybe, as well. Maybe Union House didn't want us talking about it too bad motherfucker yeah whoopsie yeah no um with all the internet stuff we had at the beginning of the year and end of last year i guess i re i called in i got new like the highest internet that you could get i have an extender that works amazingly well um and so i it's so much better you know i can send files from up here no problem so it is odd that we haven't had any experience except for during that story like right now there are no interruptions. When we first did our int- like introduction, we, t- we were talking. It, nothing happened until you started telling the story. And so then it makes me think of the last time we recorded for the full story. At the end of the recording, uh, we stopped. And I took off my headphones pretty quickly because there was a buzzing happening really loud in my ear. And I have no idea where it came from, but it was only right at the end of the story. But you had been going in and out uh, on the Zoom call. It's weird. So here it's we are weird. again, and it was only on that. And the, like, we leave the Zoom on for the whole break too. It's not like we call again or any. It's on the same fucking thing. So I don't know. Um, but in, and then I started hearing like weird stuff in my headphones, tapping and fuzz and stuff like that that I haven't heard before. The tapping was different. I've never heard that before. That's fucking so, weird. Fucking <laughs> it was weird. weird. I was getting really scared. If you have dreams I was like, about... we have to take a break so I can walk out and shake it off. If you have dreams about someone in a butcher shower, let me know. And if I have dreams Look, about someone in a butcher shower, can it please be Henry Cavill? There you go. There you go. So I'll know if I am headed down into a basement in the dark that it's a dream because that would never fucking happen in real life. I'm not doing that shit. But anyway, I must be dreaming because I'm in a goddamn basement. Yeah. So I uh, int- so we know that several people uh, commented to us in various ways that this was a big cliffhanger last week for them. <laughs> uh, not knowing what happened. Sorry, not and so, sorry. Uh, so I was thinking about that, and I came along this story. Um, so let me tell you my sources for my information. I'll get into it. So I've got Malaysia Gazette, an article by Molly Fitzpatrick on the New York Times, an article by Natalie O'Neill on the New York Post, as well as another article there by Hannah Frischberg and Wikipedia. Okay. Nice. So uh, there's this is what happened. There's this, and I randomly came across this story. There is this former chairman of Felda in Malaysia. His name is, and I'm going to butcher it, <laughs> Tan Sri Mod Isas Abdul Samad. This dude is facing nine corruption charges of over three million ringgits, and a ringgit is Malaysian money's. It basically is <laughs> the equivalent it's their, it's their of like, like seven hundred sixteen thousand U.S. dollars. So three, it's like a quarter. Over, sorry, I misunderstood. Like one ringgit is is that much? Oh, you mean no, like that. <laughs> three million ringgits. Sorry, okay. a ringgit. It's like a twenty-five cents ish. Gotcha, gotcha. So. uh his former aide, Mohammed Zahid Imd Arip, I guess, was questioned by the Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission, and then he rolled over on the former chairman and testified against him. 
right? Mm -hmm. Classic corruption story. Someone's going to roll over on the other one. It's what happens. Yes. Right? It's just well, no honor among thieves. Yeah. During uh, Isa Abdul's testimony, uh, he claimed that his aide, Zahid, had only rolled over on him because he wanted to leave the jail cell. And why did he want, and this happened like last week, why did he want to leave that jail cell? Because it was haunted. <laughs> and uh, now Zahid said, no, that wasn't the case. But the chairman had this whole story about how he had contacted him and he said, I got to get out of this jail cell. It's haunted and it's scaring me. And he was really stressed. So he said it to get out of the jail cell. And then the chairman was like, okay, cool, but now you've got to tell them what really happened. And he was like, uh-uh. And he was like, but you, seriously, though. And he was like, okay, I'm going to tell them before court. And then he was like, okay, seriously, tell them. And then the guy was like, no, I'm going to tell them you did it. <laughs> so that's kind of his defense. <laughs> that's that's my summary of how that Malaysian court thing went. But, of course, when he's like, he rolled over on him because of ghosts, the media and the courtroom was like, so it's kind of uh, become this media storm. And um, turns out he was acquitted of one of the charges, but he still has he still faces nine more charges. And that's of last Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Or no, today. That's of today, I think. Today? Wow. Yeah. So wow. Um, that got my attention. And I was like, you know, people, when they're trapped— it, it makes you wonder if you're stuck with a ghost and you can't get out. Like, your story, they got to leave at least. Yeah. But yeah. what if you don't have anywhere to go? Mm. And that got me thinking about some of the other stuff we've talked about during quarantine, if people are noticing more things. And so I thought, well, what a better way, you know, to end this instead of on a cliffhanger. Let's just get a bunch of fucking stories in there so we can have a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, there you go. In the, in the finishing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I loved this story. And so I was like, ooh, that's fun. Let's. What else can I find? Love it. So um, it, let's start with 56-year-old Kurt Schleicher or Schleicher of Tampa, Florida, specifically Ybor City. Oh, yes. So fucking for those love who Ybor don't City. know, we talked about We've talked about it before. Michael and I went to Ybor City. Uh, we were at a convention in Tampa, and we went out to Ybor uh, to do a ghost tour. And, and was... excluding the fucking bachelorette craziness that was happening, <laughs> it was a really good tour. We it had was, a really, really it good was time. The best ghost tour I've been on, uh, barring the one I went on in New Orleans the first time I was there, which is still the yeah. best. But uh, but that was that that bar was high, and I mean, our tour guide was so good. Really good, really yeah. informative, mm -hmm. and that, and it was really history based, which is what the bachelorettes didn't like. They were like, "We want ghosts." It's like, and shut the fuck ghosts. up! I want to hear how many people got murdered. <laughs> so, <laughs> let me be morbid. Shut up. So eventually, I mean, it was good. We had we got got to go in and inspect stuff, and there was this really creepy uh, moment, like a, a moment on the stage where you could really feel like someone was yeah. out there watching you. It was yeah. really really cool. It was, um, oh. and there and. It, yeah, look into the history of Ebor anyway because it is crazy. It's crazy. fascinating. It's such a cool, like, it's such a cool fucking it's, story. I love it. Yeah, like, it they, didn't have any law. Like, they worked yeah. it out where they didn't have to follow laws. Yeah, anyway. Because okay, basically there was, we'll a, like, there was a cigar magnate that was like, you know, hey, if you want your cigars, then you got to let my people kind of have the run of this town. Like, he created this yeah. town so he could manufacture cigars, but he's like, if you want— my people to come here and do this, we we can't mm -hmm. have these fucking laws where we can't gamble and have horrors. And they were like, but we really like your cigars, so okay. 
<laughs> yeah. So they got to do all of the illegal things there. So, of course, people would go do, go mm-hmm. to Ybor City for all this stuff. Chaos yep. ensued. So, all right. The history of Kurt's particular house in Ybor City includes an event that happened on October 16th, 1933. Mm-hmm. And that is when 21-year-old Victor Licata used an axe to murder his parents, two brothers, and a sister while they were asleep in the house. All died from blows to the head. The next morning, police discovered a confused Licata in a bedroom of the family home. He was wearing, and let this like just travel up your spine, he was wearing a clean pressed shirt and trousers, although beneath the clean clothes, his body was smeared in blood. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So. This is so uh, weird. It's so weird. Yeah, Why it's really that? weird. Just, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's because he, he had problems. Uh, <laughs> in case you haven't guessed it. He had some issues. Uh, Despite the evidence Lakata had a pre-existing history of mental illness, which is what the problem was, Mm. uh, police and the press made unattributed claims that he was addicted to marijuana, and that's what caused it. Please. Uh, Yeah. No one on marijuana is motivated enough to raise an axe. I can't even pick up an axe when I'm stoned. How am I going to swing it? (laughs) So uh, the day after the murders, the Tampa Bay Times wrote, W.D. Bush, city chief detective, said he had made an investigation prior to the crime and learned the slayer had been addicted to smoking marijuana cigarettes for more than six months. Marijuana cigarettes. Uh, Okay, but then the day after that, the the chief of police was like, nah, not really. Like, he smoked, but it wasn't enough to have any impact on anything. That's basically what he said. It's not exact, but that's basically. (laughs) But by then, it was way too late. The media had found their culprit. Weed, the devil dope. So, um, and they they took off with that for a while. And they used it for a whole, like, anti-drug campaign, all of this shit. And so, Lakata was never prosecuted for the murders either. Hmm. And it's not because weed was to blame. It's because he was examined by psychiatrists 11 days after his arrest and was diagnosed with dementia Precox with homicidal tendencies. That was this what made the, him, that's what they used to call schizophrenia before before it was yeah, uh, okay. delineated uh, more specifically. It made him specifically uh, overly psychotic with a condition that was acute and chronic. It was determined he was subje- subject to hallucinations accom- accompanied by homicidal impulses and periods of excitement. <laughs> I'm just sorry. I'm harping on the word chronic. Chronic. <laughs> Like the he wacky was weed. The demon chronic. Weed. He was on um, the chronic. No, he yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the weed was might committed, have helped him. Right? Mm. He was committed to the Florida Hospital for the Insane in Chattahoochee, Florida on November 3rd, 1933. Mm. Fast forward 12 years. Lakata and four other patients escaped. All of them were quickly recaptured except for Lakata. Five years later, he visited a cousin in New Orleans and was recaptured by police with the assistance of the cousin. He was then incarcerated at the Florida State Prison. A few months later, on December 4th, 1950, Lakata took his own life by hanging himself. Oh, God. 
That's such a sad story. Like, I mean, mm. I, I feel bad. Mental for the, illness is a, it's a disease, right? Yeah, I feel bad for the people he axed to death, but it, it, mm-hmm. it's hard to say it was his fault because he just wasn't in his right mind, poor thing. Which is why he was in the psychiatric hospital. Yeah. Um, but once you break out of that, they're like, mm, we probably got to get more serious. So yeah. that's yeah. Victor We got to move you somewhere so that's not on the honor system. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so the house where Victor Licata lived and killed his family is the same house that Kurt Schleicher, 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 I'm not sure. Uh, that's where he, Kurt lives. Kurt lives there. Um he said he's trying to share his house peacefully with the spirits inside. Many also stated, you notice all of these weird supernatural things when you normally wouldn't. And there's so much time to think about how scary they are. <laughs> he it's bought so the true. house because he didn't believe in ghosts. But now, well, he seems to think he might be wrong. Uh, like, he said, mm, maybe. my dog, a boxer, has been sitting in the bedroom where the mother was murdered and barking at the wall for no reason. It's not in his nature. In the bathroom, you can feel a coldness come over you, a cold brush of something walking by. I guess you could say I'm getting to know my roommates. They left this <laughs> earth in a stressful way. They were murdered while they slept, and their time was cut short. So I understand where they're coming from. Uh, so that's a little bit of I mean, that's Kurt. A, what a what a nice attitude to have about a right. tragic haunting like that. I mean, you know, good good for Kurt for going like, you know, I go from being a skeptic to being sympathetic to the ghosts that are probably here. Right. Well, because you consider Victor lived another 20 years after that, right? So right. Right. Uh, it's, if something's haunting, it's probably the family. And they were... Nice people, right? Probably. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, but you know, they weren't. I mean, they probably people. didn't deserve to meet an end like that. I'm yes, safe to right. say. Uh, okay, so <laughs> then you've got. <laughs> what, let's what, move on just, to the next. What one. happened? Wait, wait, wait! You just looked up like something bothered you. What happened? There is a beeping of something. I don't know if it's dying in my uh, in this room or what, but okay. it. It's annoying me. It just keeps going, and I have no idea what it is. (laughs) I can't figure out what the fuck it is. You're just terrified me. I'm looking at you on the Zoom screen, and you're telling your story, and suddenly look up like this, and I'm like, this is horror movie shit. This is horror movie shit. I was glaring at it, whatever it was. I was was like, maybe (laughs) it's that. I can't hear it on my end, so. Okay, good. Okay, good. Um, Okay. Before I can't can't hear anything over this fucking creaking stool. I really got to get a new chair. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. Uh, Before stay-at-home restrictions in New York, 42-year-old Patrick Hines left Manhattan with his husband and daughter to spend six weeks at a little cottage in western Massachusetts that they rented on Airbnb. One night, Patrick woke up around 3 a.m. He was thirsty and decided to get a glass of water. Just a friendly reminder. This is why you should always take water to bed with you. Then you don't have to wander into the kitchen in the middle of the night, which is where ghosts hang out. That's like same time, same place. That's where they're hanging out. Don't be there. It's a, just a little, you know, the more you know moment. Uh, okay. Anyway. Are you victim Patrick, shaming? I feel strongly. Also, I have I have two stories, so I'm not fucking going down the stairs. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not going to do that for water. Right. Um, so, uh, anyway, he woke up, uh, went downstairs, three in the morning, to get water. 
And he, when he walked into the kitchen, he saw a white man in his 50s wearing a well-worn World War II-era military uniform and cap sitting at the table. Hello, soldier. It seemed normal in the split second before I realized, wait, what's happening? And as I turned to look, he was gone. Patrick, who is the host of the podcast True Crime Obsessed, said, it didn't feel menacing at all. It almost didn't even occur to me to tell my husband the next morning. <laughs> it's a subtle, it's a quiet haunting. Then you're like, I mean, how do you, well, you got to be careful. You tell your husband, so honey, I don't know how to tell you this, but there was a there was a soldier in our kitchen last night. It's a long story, but he's gone now. Long story, but don't worry about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> 26-year-old Janie Cohen believes she's been haunted since college. She actually named the ghost Matthew. By student debt. Sorry. Right. Uh, She named the ghost Matthew, which she chose because it's a good biblical name. (laughs) And she hoped naming him would keep him on his best behavior. (laughs) Why not not Jebediah or or Ezekiel? (laughs) I'm just saying, knowing our engineer... Matthew Grounds. I don't know if best behavior is what she's going to get. Look, my my Love parents <laughs> my, my my parents named me after an archangel. Uh didn't work out. And look out. what happened. Look what happened, look what to, happened me. to you. <laughs> <laughs> the most angelic thing about me is my fashion sense. It is well now. Um <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Uh, Jamie, Jamie and I met at a different time in my life, and I just looked did. like I always looked like I was ready to mow someone's yard. And I would always be like, "What, what are you wearing?" <laughs> like I'm just preparing for middle age twenty years early. <laughs> okay, so Ghost Matthew has historically made his presence known in her Nashville home through the sounds of someone running up and down the staircase at night. Ooh. Right? Ooh. Hashtag been there. Uh, right. The noises are not like a house settling or like a cat or, or like our cat walking around, said her husband, Will Cohen. It's very clearly out to get our attention. Around the same time the couple began to self-isolate in March, Will started to use their guest bathroom so that his wife, a home health nurse who has been picking up more night shifts during the pandemic, could sleep in without the sounds of his morning routine disturbing her. Will has found that Matthew, who both uh, both of them agree prefers Janie, does not seem to appreciate these changes. On three separate occasions while showering in the guest bath, Will has been unexpectedly blasted with cold water. But it wasn't just a quirk of the plumbing. Somehow, every time when he looked to see what had happened, the hot water nozzle had been turned completely off. <laughs> yeah. Shots fired. Just trying to help you wake up, that's all. <laughs> That's it. For 39-year-old Danielle, last name withdrawn, her isolation predates the pandemic. She got an unrelated serious illness over the winter, and since then she's been recovering at her home in Richmond, British Columbia. Mm. She first experienced strange activity back in February. Hmm. She'd walk into her guest bedroom and find this one particular lamp turned on. The problem was she had no memory of leaving it that way. It happened over and over and over again until she randomly said out loud, don't turn that back on. (laughs) The next time she entered the room, 
she found the ceiling light, which she never ever switches on, blazing. On more than one occasion, she's heard the voices of a man and a woman having a conversation she couldn't quite make out. More recently, she was sewing face masks in the same guest bedroom. She had exactly enough fabric left to make one more mask, but when she briefly turned away from the ironing board where she'd been pressing one portion of the mask, the two pieces that were remaining disappeared. It was gone, she said, like in a 20-second period, gone. I went and checked the garbage pail, nothing. Checked the recycling, nothing. My fabric stash, nothing. I tore the house apart looking for these two pieces of fabric, and they never came back. Yeah, that's all we need is a fucking ghost that's an (laughs) anti-masker. Right. Oh, gosh. Um, Danielle describes herself as a highly social person, someone whose friends and family had worried about how she'd fare cooped up all by herself. This kind of feels like someone popping by to cheer me up or keep tabs or make sure that I'm not feeling alone. (laughs) Oh, I like that. Which is nice, right? I love uh, the different perspectives that people have about what's happening. Yeah. Then you have a uh, 26-year-old Adrian Gomez lives with his partner in Los Angeles. Their first few days of sheltering in place together were pretty uneventful. They worked remotely, baked, took a two-mile walk each morning, and refinished their porcelain kitchen sink. Ah, uh, projects. <laughs> <laughs> it's so many projects now. Right. Uh, but then one night, the doorknob began to rattle vigorously. So loud, Adrian could hear it from across the apartment. Yet, no one was there. In mid-April, Adrian was in bed when a nearby window shade began shaking against the window frame. The window was closed, and the window shade right next to it remained perfectly still. The cats were all accounted for. No bug or bird nor any kind of small creature had gotten stuck in there. Adrian thought maybe it was an earthquake. He said... (laughs) I was very seriously hid myself under the comforter, like you see in horror movies, because it really did freak me out. <laughs> Neither Adrian nor his partner noticed any unexplained activity at home before this, and yet, now, the couple can distinctly make out footsteps above their heads. No one lives above them. I feel your pain, Adrian. I <laughs> totally feel that pain. Just the, 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 this, the, the conversation thing makes me think of that time we were recording and we fucking flat out hurt two people having a conversation. Yeah. Like, yeah. As big as you please, in a, on the other side of a wall where there is no fucking room. Yeah, that's right. It's so weird. Uh, Adrian works in IT and considers himself a fairly rational person. He tries to think what reasonable, tangible things could be causing this, but when he doesn't have those answers, he starts wondering that maybe something else is going on. <laughs> it is, baby. You haunt it. <laughs> that's just what it is. Sorry, not sorry. Write us in. Tell us everything about it. Um, and then you've got 32-year-old Brent Underwood. He took sheltering in place to the next level when he became trapped in Cerro Gordo, uh, California, a ghost town he recently purchased. There's no running water. He got trapped by a snowstorm for at least a month after he got there. And that's when he realized his ghost town might actually be haunted. (laughs) <laughs> Ryan said he was aware of the 22 buildings town 22 building towns violent reputation when he bought it. At one point it averaged one murder per week. It, there was a there was a lot of uh, stories about ghosts beforehand. Um so much so that Ghost Adventures investigated it. Blech. 
And they decided it was haunted by the ghosts of two children who died after being trapped in a closet. Hmm. I know that Uh, feeling. You know how I feel about that. But (laughs) (laughs) Brian stays in the room where the children are believed to be trapped. He, of course, has yet to see them. But that doesn't mean creepy shit isn't happening. Just because Ghost Adventures was there doesn't mean it's all lies. Uh, Just whatever they said. Um, In my opinion. It's it's an opinion statement. Oh, God. Okay. Things things are moving around. I'm seeing curtains move. I'm hearing things in the night, he says. There's no draft, but things drop inside of houses. It's particularly challenging during quarantine because I can't have anyone else here with me for comfort. Hmm. When you're alone, it's even more frightening, he said. This is ridiculous, but I sleep with a golf club and with the living room light on. He sleeps with the lights on, too. We have to refine uh, our, our closing statement. It's okay to sleep with the lights on with a golf club. With a golf club. Whatever <laughs> other things you need. Uh, in addition to that otherworldliness, a light in the bunkhouse keeps turning on by itself. And his wallet recently disappeared for two days, only to reappear in the town hotel. That was a bit freaky, he admits, but he believes the spirits are peaceful. For the most part, I leave the ghosts alone, and they leave me alone. I try to respect their space. (laughs) That was my grandmother's attitude with bees. If you ignore them, they will ignore you. (laughs) I think she felt the same way about ghosts, too, actually. Um, That was my grandparents' attitude toward gay people. (laughs) We just... Sorry, that was mean. That was mean. Not my, not my maternal grandparents. They were very accepting, but my, my, yeah. my paternal grandparents, mm, a little more conservative in viewpoint, though. They, yeah. they, they were, they treated me with respect. But anyway, they're dead <laughs> now. At an arm's distance. <laughs> uh, John E. L. Tinney, who describes himself as a paranormal researcher and as a former host of the TV show Ghost Stalkers estimates that he received two to five reports of a haunted house each month in 2019. Lately, it's been more like five to ten times in a week. Hey. John has seen something like this before. In 1999, immediately before Y2K, he witnessed a spike in reported ghost and poltergeist activity, as well as UFO sightings which he's saying he's getting more reports of UFO sightings right now as well. Well, I guess there's a lot of factors there that make sense because whenever there are these kind of paranormal flaps, it it seems that they're fed by a collective anxiety, Um, you know, (laughs) which everyone is feeling right now. And of course, everyone's at home. So, you know, uh, sheltering in place, or they should be if they're not essential. And, um, you know, so they're going to be more alert to things in their house that they're not usually mm-hmm. around enough to notice. So, yeah. yeah, it's kind of a perfect storm. But I, I, I believe that. I think paranormal experiences yeah. are a direct result of your mental state. Not that they are produced, like not that they're a figment of your imagination, but that your your right. ability to pick up on them. Um, There's is less reflective of a veil of your, when yeah. you're really paying attention to everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And when you're already um, on edge for other reasons. Yeah, that's why, so, like, when you're really quiet and trying to be quiet and it's scary that you can hear your breath, yeah. even though it's not making any more noise than normal. Um, <laughs> right. So, and that's, and you know what, he said that too. It does seem to have something to do with our heightened state of anxiety, our hypervigilance. Hmm. John has no doubt that the vast majority of these cases in his inbox are completely explainable in nature, 
When the sun comes up and the house starts to warm up, they're usually at work. They're not used to hearing the bricks pop and the wood expand, he said. It's not that the house wasn't making those sounds. They just never had the time to notice it. I agree with him, but one has to wonder what happens when your experiences are more than just bricks popping and wood expanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, there's there, there are times when, you know, the simplest perfectly rational uh, sound can can seem terrifying but mm-hmm. in my experience and i go so far as to say in no one's experience does the house settling sound like someone uh trudging down the staircase uh, yep. with heavy boots in the middle of the night or or right. whispers like you know there are there are times i think skeptics can be a li- can reach a little too much um, yeah. I mean, it's just, well, it, in the same way that people, uh, some people are too willing willing to believe everything yeah. is supernatural in, in nature. I think there are some people that are too willing to believe that nothing is supernatural in nature. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. And I feel like, and that, I feel like that, that same truth, bias happens. Yeah. And it's hard. And it's hard to know that you're biased because you know you're 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 the whole confirmation bias thing. Your brain is going to look yeah. for and emphasize the things that support the thing you already think. Um, yeah. And there's no. Uh, I, don't know who said this, some philosopher, I imagine, but logic itself is not, the human brain is not logical. Logic is something we we do to kind of um, rationalize a conclusion we've already arrived at emotionally. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's, very, it's, it's the very rare, very disciplined human being that can arrive at their conclusion through logic. Instead, they use logic to dress their conclusion up. And um, which is not to say logic doesn't have it pla- has have its place, but just because you are logical does not does not mean that you're not also prey to confirmation bias. Exactly, exactly. Um, okay, and our last story for today takes us to Indonesia Ooh. for some comedy. <laughs> cor- <laughs> yeah. Indonesian comedy, gonna, my favorite. You're gonna fucking love this. Let me tell you that. <laughs> oh goodness um, gracious. According to an article in Newsweek by Jason Lemon, an Indonesian official found a unique way to punish quarantine violators amid the coronavirus pandemic. Go on. The official noted that many people traveling to Indonesia's densely populated Java Island were disregarding orders to isolate themselves for at least two weeks after arriving. Mm. So... The Regency head decided to rely on local superstitions and fear to punish those violators. (laughs) Those villagers who were ignoring the isolation requirement were ordered into uh, converted, abandoned, known-to-be-haunted homes in temporary detainment centers for quarantine. (laughs) So, oh... We're going to make sure you quarantine yourselves, and it's not going to be at your home. It's going to be at this haunted house. Good luck with that. Haunted house So that's what they started party. doing. So My God, they shouldn't people, do that here because those fucking idiot influencers out in L.A. who are having COVID parties will just be like, awesome, dude. Who wants to go to a haunted house? Like, no. Mm-mm. But, but then but, if it's a violent haunted house, it might be a self-solving problem. <laughs> You know, I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So uh, on top of that, uh, K-E-P-U-H, Kepa Village, located on Java, has been patrolled by ghosts in an attempt to scare people into staying home as well. A local youth group, and this is so fucking much fun. 
A, a local youth group and the police coordinated together to have people patrol the streets as pokong, P-O-C-O-N-G, pokong, uh, which are ghostly figures wrapped in white fabric. The ghosts powder their face white and then put on put black coal around their eyes. And then they patrol the streets and jump out of the shadows at unsuspecting passers-by in an effort to scare them home. (laughs) For some reason, I keep flashing to the Charlie Brown Halloween special, and I know one of the patrolmen is probably Pigpen, and he's like, I got a rock. That's all I can (laughs) think of. It is. (laughs) It's like, come on, Charles, you're a ghost. Get into it, goddammit. Yeah, and from what I read, it seems to be working. But can you imagine... Walking down the street, just like, and all of a sudden you're in a haunted house. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why are people jumping at me? Stay home or you're going to get attacked. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. It's like a Scooby-Doo mystery with a moral at the end. Yeah, exactly. It was those darn kids. <laughs> it's those darn kids that wouldn't fucking self-quarantine. Uh, no, it was That's... the darn, darn kids were the ghosts. And because of group, other yeah. darn kids that wouldn't quarantine, it's right. complicated, Jamie, is it's what I'm saying. It's a very it mature, is. it's a very mature Scooby-Doo story with a lot of ethical right. dilemmas. Right. It's a, it, this was a movie special. It wasn't just like a regular episode. Yeah, yeah, with like special yeah. guest stars like Vincent Price or whatever. And he, like, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what that's what happened over in, in Indonesia. But uh, it phenomenal. seems, though, that, yes, our suspicions were correct that people are noticing more activity having stayed in their houses for so long um, and just being more aware of it and hearing things and you know all of that kind of stuff so I say if this is happening to you at home you should tell us about it reach out reach out send it to us at ghoulintentions.com uh, submit your story. It's at the top of the menu. Let us know if you've had any weird shit happen at quarantine that maybe didn't happen before or or that did, you know. Or, the, or if you've noticed things that have come back that have been gone for a while or if, like, yeah. if the activity that you're used to has ramped up. Yeah, Ooh. let us know because I can't get enough of it. I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah. so, so good. There you go. There's some. So good. There's several satisfying stories. Oh, yes, thank you. And I'm I'm so sorry to leave you all hanging again, but really, the book is just so good. Um, I'm glad. You can read ahead if you it. want. Just go buy. Just go buy the Uninvited by Stephen A. Lachance on Kindle right now, and and you could you know then you can uh, grade me on my book report <laughs> right? next week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just uh, want to add that um, we don't have any glitches or Zoom trouble throughout no. the entirety of my story. But then when you um, mentioned that book, uh, <laughs> I could hear a fuzziness, breathiness what? in my ear. All that right. was really fun You may want to put some Florida water around your house. Just, <laughs> I mean, just to be safe. It's doing it again. Yeah, I hear it on my end too now. You froze for a Did minute. Did you hear it? Uh-huh. Uh, it's weird. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a breathy, airy sound. I'd be and curious. my headphones. I'll be curious to know. And I'd really rather not. I'd be curious <laughs> to know if anyone hears anything we're not hearing right now when this yeah. comes out. Because so far, I mean, I didn't. Uh, last week, someone heard something, and I don't hear it myself. I, yeah, I, I didn't hear that boring. at all. I didn't hear it. So uh, to the person that that heard that, maybe it was just on your own. Just sorry. not saying that yeah, you didn't hear something, but maybe you're the only one that did, because it was in your house. Not to scare you, but you know, <clears throat> better you than <laughs> better you Hashtag than me. Uh, not the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway. Thank you guys yeah. for listening. 
Yes, thank you. Send in those submissions, please. Please do. They're yeah, so wanna... good, and we we really we devour them. I want you to know. We do. And we again, love them, we a love them. huge thank you to Monica Rial for absolutely yes. slaying the opening story. And, Yay, Monica! Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's all I got. You got anything else? No, that's it. That's all right. It. Well, then stay safe. Stay sane. And remember, it's, it's okay, okay to, to sleep, sleep with, with the, the lights, lights on. on. And a golf club. <laughs>